damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm uh, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. I have my own uh, fire investigation uh, firm called Fire Consulting International, and I'm also the manager of CFIS, the the Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. And this is Donna Ingram. I'm a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators, have over 30 years in the fire business and insurance fraud, and welcome to Speaking of Fire. Yes, thank you guys for listening to us. Uh, we have a, an audience of over 30,000 that listen to us. They're, they're, they're not only um, uh, everyone that's uh, just general people, but we have fire investigators and we have firefighters and police and, and all countries all over the world. And we appreciate your being here. We are honored today to have Dr. James G. Quintieri, um, well, uh, Dr. Q., a professor emeritus uh, at at uh, University of of um, Maryland at College Park, and he is a the quintessential uh, fire science engineer. He he has over 150 journal publications in areas ranging from fire behavior materials, um, fire and in, in, including ignition, fire spread, burn rate uh, uh, to the behavior of fire, and a flashover smoke movement modeling. And he has three books, um, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Um, he was a co-author with uh, uh, on on enclosure fire dynamics, CRC Press, Boca Raton, Florida, in September of 1999. Fundamentals of Fire Phenomena, with John Wiley and Sons, uh, the publisher, May 20 uh, May of 2000. A six, and then Principles of Fire Behavior, the second edition, CRC Press, Bogotan, Florida, in August of 2016. Um, he's been a vis- visiting professor all over the the world, really, and and was involved in. And we're going to talk about uh, a critique of the World Trade Trade Center investigation. I just want you to say one more thing is that the doctor was very nice to me when, when I asked him to be on the show and he says, well, I'm going to talk about a controversial subject. And I said, that's fine with me. Uh, controversy isn't a, isn't a problem. But I want to talk to him first about uh, him because because uh, you want to, I want you to know what a great uh, guy he is and what a, what a, um, what a profound effect he's had on the fire investigation community. Welcome, Dr. Q. Well, uh, thank you, and um, uh, it's really a pleasure for me to be here, and I appreciate all the remarks you've made about me, so uh, <laughs> let's see uh, how I can help today. Well, first of all, I want you to, I want you to tell people, because I first met you years ago, sir, uh, at uh, MIFRI, and, uh, and, uh, and, you, and you did a lot of work there for the University of, of Maryland, did, did you not? I mean, it not only teach courses, but made publications. What did you do at, at the university? Well, at the university, I left a government job to go to the university and basically uh, 
teach courses at a graduate level, help shape the fire protection engineering program at a graduate level. That's what led to most of the books that I uh, wrote. Uh, and uh, I did research during that time period. Yes, and you were terrific, too. Uh, I know that you, um, well, you even did a uh, CFI trainer module on the candle, uh, didn't you? I mean, that was a, that was a great yes. one. Everybody's, everybody's seen that. Um, and yes. uh, we liked that. Uh, and you did a lot of work in, in uh, helping fire investigators understand uh, the wonderful world of, of uh, equations. And uh, so I know that you've done work with, uh, with, uh, with Robert Shaw, um, Bobby Shaw, past president of the International, and you put on classes for the International Association of Arson Investigators. And what do you think, Doctor? Is um, what do you think? How do you how do you think you you get across um, the how to calculate fires for fire investigators? What 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 can the fire investigators do to to more simply understand uh, heat release heat release rates and things of that nature? Well, uh, first let me say that uh, the uh, field of fire investigation opened to me a scenario in fire that you never see in the laboratory. Uh, You really see many, many different faces of fire when you turn to the real world. And um, uh, the challenge is basically translating the information about fire research and science to the layperson, because most investigators have come up from the bottom. They've learned it in the field, and they haven't had training in the sciences. So right there, there's a cultural difference, and there's a language difference. And uh, I've worked hard to try to bridge that, and investigators that have listened to me have probably worked equally hard to try to digest it. Uh, We came to this process through the ATF uh, back in the early 1990s when ATF wanted a science-based education and they felt they were getting a lot of myths and legends. So that's how we all came together. Right, and what do you what do you would you recommend, Doctor, for the uh, for the fire investigators? Not only just starting, but even old guys like me that've been around a long time. That you, you said we we learned a lot of it from uh, from being there on the scene, but uh, and then had to go into the study of uh, silent science. Uh, what would you recommend to them? What type of courses would you recommend that uh, fire investigators take uh, at college level? Um, chemistry. Uh, mathematics. What 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 would you recommend that they take? Well, well look, uh, a lot of uh, fire science is couched in equations and now computer codes. Mm-hmm. For anyone to appreciate how to calculate, you know, tangible aspects of fire, you have to at least understand algebra, and then if you're going to use a computer code, you better understand what's in it. Otherwise, you're using a Nintendo game to get a courtroom answer. And uh, it may not be uh, valid, and you may be uh, challenged as an expert. So uh, you really have to, you, you know, understand some mathematics and some physics. Actually, you mentioned chemistry. Mm-hmm. Chemistry is probably the least important in understanding fire. 
because the chemistry happened so fast, it's how the fuel and air got together, and that's basically physics. Mm. Well, that's exactly what it, that, that's what I exactly what I wanted to find out because uh, you know I mean the, there are, I I teach these expert witness classes all over the country for the international and uh, I'm I'm always running across these um, these fire investigators that uh, that are saying well what where can I go what can I do what what uh, how can I understand the science and and uh, now that's exactly the kind of thing I wanted to hear. Well, algebra, everybody uh, hated that, or all the guys hated it when they were in high school, anyway. But uh, we we had to uh, we had to understand something about it. But uh, physics is is really, uh, I think, uh, one of the major um, things you must understand. And and um, and you now you've uh, contributed to um, not only I mean you you've done studies on on heat release rates and things of that nature of, of, of materials. And, uh, and so where, where are fire investigators, um, where should they go uh, to, uh, to understand really what uh, heat release rates are and how, how to uh, ascertain what this particular material, um, you know, what type of heat did it produce during the fire? What do you think, doctor? Well, look, um, in a learning process, when you're going into a new field, you want to start simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some books written in the early days uh, that probably lacked equations, but tried to get a po- across the um, important aspects of science uh, that fire was all about. One of those mm-hmm. books is written by John Lyons. Uh, John Lyons was uh, first director of the fire program at NIST, and later he became uh, the director of NIST itself. And it was a book put out by uh, Scientific American. So Scientific American has a book on fire uh, by John Lyons. There's no equations in it. Mm -hmm. There's another colleague of mine, uh, Ray Friedman. He's passed away, but he wrote a book in which he was proud not to have an equation in it. (laughs) <laughs> and it's on the principles of fire protection engineering, something like that. Ray Friedman. Okay. Uh, I would start with books like that that give you the, uh, the, the, the verbal concepts of science within fire and, and then expand from that. But if you're going to do anything computational, Mm-hmm. You need to have some kind of, you know, algebra back background, and that's all you really need uh, to get started uh, and not be afraid of an equation. But if you go beyond that, you know, you you need more advanced courses. Right. And, and then, uh, yeah, and now I think, I think I think you're right, and and not only that, but there's a lot of um, fire modeling now, and and as you know, ten thirty three. Requires that we that we understand that fire investigators understand uh, fire modeling at least at least to the extent of what is uh, you know what what do you have to have to create a fire model even if they don't know exactly how to conduct one uh, they certainly do and you were you're you've been involved in fire modeling too haven't you doctor well actually one of my first groups in the early uh 80s was called a fire modeling group. At that time, we weren't using computers. Mm-hmm. So modeling has different names. 
uh, one of the papers that I've written that has the the most citations is a paper on scale modeling. That's another aspect of modeling. Uh, the the fire service can benefit a lot from trying to understand fire through scale models mm-hmm. and incorporating in their education more of these advanced courses for fire. Uh, you're not going to get something for nothing. Uh, oh, yes, you, right. You, you have to make the investment. And we live in a sophisticated world, and fire has been put in the background of that sophistication for a long, long time. If the scientists can bring something forward, then it has to be translated to the people that deal with fire all day long, not just the investigators, but really, really the fire service. The fire service has to recognize that they need to understand all aspects of what they do from an advanced technological point of view. Absolutely, and uh, and I agree with you. And and we um, we well, it's not. Um, and I, I tell these students, it's not. Uh, it's it's not becoming easier to be a fire investigator. It's actually becoming a little harder. Uh, we need to have more and more science uh, in our backgrounds, and uh, and at the same time have to relate it. I think you brought it up, Doctor. It was very good. You you have to relate that in in terms to a jury. Um, if, if you're going into some kind of litigation, whether it's uh, civil or criminal, you have to be able to relate that, and and uh, and they would get lost. Uh, they would Absolutely. get lost in the in the. Uh, when when do you? I, I don't know. I don't know this. I I, I, should, I, I just want to say, interrupt you there, Mike. No, sure, sure. You know, some people take into the courtroom models and they show computer models to the jury. Would you believe that the judge let me do an experiment in the courtroom one time? No kidding. Tell us, tell us, please. Yes, in Baltimore. Okay. What, what did he do? I mean, how did you do it? Uh, it was a case of uh, uh, putting uh, material on your hair and making it more flammable. So I demonstrated that in the courtroom. Did you demonstrate it on your own hair? You didn't, no, uh, no, you no, didn't no. We, we, we had we had a wig hair, which was made from real hair, and uh, and that's what I did. But the point is, is that many times you can prove your point by uh, a visual demonstration. Uh, right. You, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, some sophisticated equation or some computer. Right, and I think it's great because that you were able to do that because a lot of a lot of uh, judges don't want you to even open up a can uh, of, of samples because they don't want to smell up their courtroom. And did, did you actually ignite the hair in his in his courtroom? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Wow, amazing! Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Yes, uh, well, it was that's amazing to me too. <laughs> and you uh, and you prevailed, I imagine. I mean, I imagine. Uh, there... I, I I think so. That was one. Um, uh, uh, case where I never got paid from the defendant. <laughs> well, I mean, it yeah, beca- be- be- you know, because they're supposed to pay you for a deposition. But yes, the plaintiff did did win. And uh, and the judge even gave me a history of the courtroom because I was talking too much about how nice the courtroom looked. 
<laughs> That's great. Well, you know, uh, Doctor, I'll tell you that uh, the personal experience is always something that we like to to like to have. Uh, you know, and and uh, I there is that fine line that you have brought up that that line where you where you show that you have professorial knowledge, and at the same time. Do not speak down to a jury, right? If you relate to a jury and you use you terms better. that don't, uh, yeah, the terms you, you understand. Yes. And so when you're, when you're, let, that's, that leads to this question. You are a, a fascinating expert on, on all the equations you will ever need to, uh, in, in your life as a fire investigator. How do you, how do you relate that, um, how do you relate that to a, to a, a jury? You, I certainly you don't, uh, you can't actually show. Or do you show them the equation and and what this? Show uh, no, you? you wouldn't want to do anything like that. No, no, no. I didn't think so. No, uh, you you wouldn't want to do anything like that. Uh, I mean, only if it came up as an issue uh, mm-hmm. in the case. Uh, for example, there was one uh, case where a ATF agent used an equation, and then the expert on the other side used the same equation and told the judge he got a negative flame height and then when mm-hmm. that was rebutted it turned out that that so-called expert used the wrong units in the equation no so uh so look you you don't want to get down to that detail you you want to explain things in logical terms uh, with the science grounding and with your calculations in the background Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you speak to a jury, uh, you you can't do that. Now, if you have a computer model, you show them a fancy thing, and then almost everybody believes it because it looks real. Mm-hmm. But th- that's not true. Yeah, but it's true. I was told by, um, I, I mean, uh, you're right. You're absolutely correct, uh, sir. I know that. Because actually, I've had three PhDs. You're now the third that, that say the same thing. and And that is that well, it's always the quality of the data, isn't it? I mean, if you put garbage in, it's garbage out, correct? Well, it's that, but it's also the fact that these computer models can't do everything that they they are claiming to do. So mm-hmm. some people push them too far. Well, and I didn't so, know that. I didn't know they pushed I thought they had yeah, like 20. I mean, the, the, 20 the basic thing about fire growth is how the fire grows. And in many of these models... They have to concoct that, and if they try to calculate it, they're really on a, a, a small tree limb. I mean, they, they really have no basis for calculating that accurately. Hmm. Uh, so the whole aspect of how the fire grows is essential to a computer model, and uh, either that's made up or it's calculated on very thin... Uh, uh, credible uh, foundation. I see. Yeah, well, uh, fire dynamics. I, I know NIST, which is. Uh, oh, and we're going to talk about what. Well, why don't you ask? Why don't you tell the audience what NIST is? Because we said NIST earlier. What is NIST? What does uh, NIST mean? NIST is the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Before that, they were NBS, which was the National Bureau of Standards. Right. And, you, they, and you've worked with them a lot, haven't you, in the past? Yes, I, I left there as a division chief of the fire program back in uh, around 1991. Right. So I was and, there for 20 years. 
Right. And uh, Dan Madrakowski, who was on my final show le- next week, uh, was with NIST and then went over to UL. And and, uh, and so he'll be on. But uh, uh, I have a, a lot of respect for um, for his work. Uh, what I was going to say, though, is if I, I used the NIST, um, the simplified uh explanation for fire dynamics that NIST puts out, and that is, of course, the way that fires uh, start, spread, and develop and uh, as fire dynamics. And you've written a book on on uh, on fire dynamics, sir. In fact, I, I, didn't you have one at the International Training uh, a Conference for the IAAI that was going to be a prize, you, you know, that Somebody win, yes, won we it. tried to promote the book because uh, it was originally published by a publisher in the 90s uh, that uh, went out of the fire business, and uh, the book went out of print, so uh, I had trouble getting a new new edition, mm-hmm. and that just came out, but uh, a lot of people didn't know about it, so we uh, promoted the book by giving a prize to people every day. Uh, if we drew their card out of a a box, yeah, I was unfortunate uh, enough not to win that. <laughs> so, but tell us about well, the book. you tell, you, tell us the, you can the buy it. It's it's not that expensive. It's a rel- you know it's within the range of normal textbooks. Sure, uh, there's probably used copies even around. Uh, but the second edition is uh, you can get on Amazon. It's called the uh, Principles of Fire Behavior. Uh, and uh, it's published now by CRC uh, Taylor Francis, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the second edition is probably double in size to the first. Uh, it has a lot more examples in. Uh, it has a whole uh, last chapter on case studies, so uh, there's a lot to you know get out of that book i think for the investigator it used to be uh, uh the first edition was used often in fire science curriculum and uh it was very popular however the the main uh uh criticism against it was people didn't like the equations and what that shows you is that the level of people teaching that did not have the ability to even understand the equations, let alone teach it. And this is really, uh, you know, in today's world of not understanding algebra, uh, mm-hmm. for for the fire community, not to have that ability is uh, is kind of sad. Yeah, it is, and I, I agree with you, and I'm going to get the book. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, and you know I've been following you know of course I've always uh, followed the the latest text but that's uh, I'm glad it's out there doctor because I'm glad you got it reprinted um, because it, it's going to help everybody uh, if they will yeah it's it's, only... it, it's more than reprint it's a it's a, a total revision oh great terrific hmm well yeah that, well that's good and um, and so what and then you also have the f- uh, fundamentals of fire phenomena. Uh, and is that still available too? Yes, and there may be a re- new revision of that coming up. And that book is really designed for graduate engineers. Okay, that, that's right. a higher level book. Okay, 
Yeah, well, yeah, well, there's none. There's there no uh, fire investigator in, in their right mind is going to 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 um, to try and promote themselves as that particular at that particular level. Anyway, so uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Um, we're in a minute. We're going to be um, we're going to be going. We got about four minutes left on this segment segment. So I want to say one more thing. You are uh, an authority, and some people. Would might want to get in touch with you about different aspects of, of fire behavior or, or phenomena. How how do people get in touch with you, Doctor Q? Well, I'm on Facebook. Um, I actually have an LLC now called Q dot mm-hmm. uh, initial Q and then D O T and. Uh, uh, I have an email. I mean, I could give you my email. Sure, please. Uh, J I M Q, Jim Q, mm-hmm. at U M D. M D is for Maryland. So, right. University of Maryland. Edu for education. Fantastic. Well, you know, because uh, I mean, I, I know that this we're about to have this discussion in the second part uh, about the World Trade Center. And um, I, I wanted to do the first part to, to show people what, what an authority you are, sir. And then secondly, we'll talk about the World Trade Center when we come back from our break. But um, what we'll do now is we'll just take a, a, a break um, and we'll... Uh, Then when we come back, we'll come back to Speaking of Fire. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at FCIFire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. 
Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Doctor, I wanted to ask you, we're going to spend the next 25 minutes talking about the World Trade Center. How did you get involved in the World Trade Center, and what was your role? Okay. uh, Like everybody else, I saw it on TV when I awoke that day, and I was about to teach a fire investigation course to the ATF in Georgia, when they ran off to the Pentagon to start investigating the aftermath. Uh, For the next week or so, I was trapped in Florida, not able to fly anyplace. Uh, So uh, when I got back to my office, someone asked me to be part of an investigative team put together by the American Society of Civil Engineers. And I said, okay. And then I started receiving emails from them from their group that was on the scene Mm -hmm. and some of those emails disturbed me Uh, in particular there was uh, someone on their team from University of California at Berkeley uh, Hassan Astani uh, professor of civil engineering he was uh, reaching out to the press saying that they needed to save the steel that was coming, you know, from the building site to the junkyard. And uh, he was ceremoniously kicked off the, uh, the team. Mm. Uh, so then I started speaking out on issues like that. And then I, I never was on that team anymore, but I was adopted by a group called Skyscraper... Uh, 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 skyscraper campaign uh these were this was founded by two ladies who lost their uh son and husband respectively and uh, a me, uh, doctor, key player excuse- in all of that was uh uh his name is escaping me right now but he's from john jake uh, college Anyway, they they formed this group, and I became affiliated with them. Uh, And those people were really responsible for launching the uh, funding for the investigation to see why the building fell down. And um, so uh, I became... Excuse me, excuse me, Hello? doctor. Is that is that uh, doctor? Is that uh, skyscraper safety campaign still um, in, in in act? Are they active still? Or are they still? Yeah, they're around? still active. Sally Reaganhart still has a foundation. Uh, Glenn uh, Corbett from John Jay. Uh, they have uh, meetings periodically to try to promote something or other. So. Uh, 
yes, they're active, but uh, uh, it's really more for memory sake rather than for advocacy sake because you know no one wants to go revisit that right and and the, and they were trying to save that uh, they wanted to save the steel sir you you said why did they want to st- save all of that well that, protest, that was one testing? of the key issues that that got me speaking out uh and i, I obviously it got professor astani uh kicked off the committee and uh, me uh, never to receive any more messages from them. Uh, now, just to point out how critical that is, uh, sure. I wasn't sure how valuable it was until I started talking to fire investigators in the field that had scientific knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you save the steel from the fire floors, which was marked on every major steel component. So as the steel was coming out of the site, you just had to look at the steel, find the, find the marking on it, which was written in chalk or embossed. Mm-hmm. And then you would know exactly where it came from in the building. So if you se- segregated out the steel from the fire flaws, then by a metallurgical analysis, you could tell exactly what temperature the steel got to. Right, and it, and do you critical. think they were? Yeah, that was that was very important. But did I mean? Do you think they were able to actually, since the, the collapse had happened, were they able to actually identify the the proper um, steel members? Uh, no, they wouldn't do it. Oh, they oh, wouldn't I do see. it. Uh, I wrote to newspapers. I wrote to the city of New York. Uh, I called the mayor's office. Uh, I uh, wrote to the uh, Department of Design and Construction that was in charge. Uh, They wouldn't do it. Hmm. If anyone wants to go back, they could trace it in the newspaper. Uh, A lot of this was reported in the newspapers at the time. Uh, They wouldn't do it. Here you had a mayor of New York who was deemed the, uh, the best mayor in the world, who was a former prosecutor and was what do you call it, spoliating the evidence? Yeah, spoliation, uh, yeah. That evidence was valuable, uh, and it was not saved. And, so and, uh, if that nice. evidence had yeah. been saved, you would have had the signature of the fire on the steel, and then you would understand exactly what brought the building down. That's uh, that's the same person that is now the president's uh, attorney that's making a... Uh, <laughs> Unusual statements every day on the air. So, uh, yes, yeah, a very okay, clownish so, person. Yes, yes, yes. Anyway, but uh, well, the critical. You were you were bringing it up, and I really want to talk about this because uh, fire investigators, you know, deal constantly with, um, well, uh, temperatures and I mean melting temperatures, uh, and we want we would want to know what type of temperature that that type of steel would have to be subjected to. To to cause the, the it was a, the collapse. Could do you were you able ever to you couldn't get that particular steel? But did you make some some kind of research into that, sir? Yes, and and there there is a lot of information on that how steel behaves at different temperatures. Uh, there's even uh, criteria built into test methods for steel that does if the steel gets to this temperature. 
it fails the test. Uh, that temperature is of the order of 1,000 degrees F. Uh, mm-hmm. At that point, the uh, mechanical properties of the steel make it act like wet spaghetti. Wow. Uh, so it, it will sag tremendously. And in this case, the trusses would sag and uh, would break off at the connections because the, connect- the connections were not designed for sagging trusses. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I could I could explain this all in diagrammical, you know, form. But sure. anything anything I'm saying here is already on the internet. It's sure. on the internet in terms of things that I said and published. Uh-huh. It's on the internet. Probably Sally Regenhardt's testimony before Congress is on that internet. You probably can find it on YouTube. Uh, uh, my testimony before the NIST uh, open hearings is uh, in public domain. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the last thing that we wrote with a former uh, uh, advisory uh, person to NIST during their investigation, mm-hmm. who doesn't believe NIST any longer, uh, we wrote a rebuttal to what NIST wrote in uh, public domain uh 10 years after their report. So all of this is in a public domain. A lot of my critique is documented. Uh, NFPA afforded me uh, uh, two hours to give two presentations on this subject uh, back in the, uh, uh, I don't know, about 2003. So uh, a lot is out there, and I can't say everything I can today but I can just tell you that the investigation was flawed from the beginning, not to save the steel. And then mm-hmm. th- some of the things that NIST did in their investigation were incorrect. Well, let me ask you this. So the steel was there, of course, and there was insulation, too, was there not, uh, around, yeah. the, around the steel? Um, and yeah. I, I think you've, you've uh, your, your comments publicly and, 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 and to in the research that you've sent me, um, uh, there's, you have an opinion that there was insufficient amount. Is that correct? Around the steel? Yes. And this goes back to when the building was built. Mm-hmm. They changed the codes to say you should have a two-hour rating instead of three-hour rating for fire endurance. Mm. And at that time, they had uh, no testing of anything that looked like the steel trusses for the World Trade Center. Uh So they picked something out of the literature that said it should be a half inch of this sprayed-on insulation. The the person who put the insulation on put three-quarters on because they surveyed this afterwards about how much was on. It was three-quarters. Now, Mm. in the 1990s, they had a case brought against the people who put the insulation on and the insulation company because some of it was falling off and some of it had asbestos. In the 1990s, the new director engineer of the World Trade Center found that what they had put on initially was totally wrong and it should be an inch and a half. And if they had used the right... uh, information from UL, it should have been two inches. Oh, my uh, goodness. Now, the South Tower had the original three quarters. Yeah. And the North Tower, where that was hit, had the inch and a half. 
The North oh. Tower fell in 102 minutes. Mm-hmm. The South Tower, with half the insulation, fell in 56 minutes. Do you oh. think that? Yeah. Do you think that if there there had been a, well, it would still have fallen, but you think that two, two, uh, if it had been two uh, two inches like UL, it would have stood longer. Is that correct? Uh, it's very very likely. Uh, NIST claims the airplane did damage. Blah blah blah. Uh, that's never been authenticated. Uh, NIST actually mm-hmm. used the wrong fuel load in their calculations. You know, fire endurance is based on how much fuel load you have. Right. And uh, NIST uh, uh, calculated that incorrectly, and we have documents to show that it was either triple or double what NIST claims. Oh, my goodness. And so if, well, NIST had, if NIST had run it with the right fuel load, mm-hmm. they would have had a longer fire, and... Um, then the thing would have failed due to the trusses. Well, the, the fuel uh, this said that it, this said it never failed due to the trusses, and so that insulation was not a factor. I mean, it, it, I could get into more details, but there were people on their advisory panel telling me that they could not bring down the building with the calculations, and then this at the last minute uh, turned the whole thing upside down by saying that the. Uh, Columns in the center of the building had 90% of their insulation knocked off by the airplane, so there was no insulation on those, and that's what brought it down. Uh, no, um, wait, wait a minute. That wouldn't make 90% of the insulation for the entire for the entire length of the building? Yes, yeah, for the entire core section. It, the World Trade Center was is supported by the core columns. Right, right with trusses going over to the outer columns. Right. And so they NIST ultimately blamed the collapse on the core columns getting too hot mm-hmm. and causing the collapse. And they got too hot because they had no insulation. Oh wow. Um, well and is that is it was there no insulation really on the core? Is that it? I mean, they didn't have any insulation around them? No, no. There was insulation on the core, more than was on the trusses. Mm. But the only way NIST could bring the building down was to find something other than the trusses to blame. Since their calculations said that the trusses were fine. Now the trusses were fine in their calculation because their fire didn't burn long enough. Oh boy! Well, let me ask you this, Doctor. I mean, I will explain to the. Remember, we're talking to the general public and and um, right, and fire right. investigators. Tell tell people what a fuel load is, so that they know that they were using insufficient. Okay. Uh, when you have a fire, first things burn in the room, and everything gets involved. Uh, once that you have that condition, now the fire is attacking the structure. And the duration of that fire against the structure is what could bring the building down to collapse. Right. Buildings so the fuel- have been designed since the early part of the cent- last century to withstand fire. So to withstand three hours, maybe even four hours of fire. 
and uh, uh, the the current thinking is that many people can even can even conceive of a fire lasting three hours. Uh, mm-hmm. the the whole The whole area of fire endurance uh, went into the real background of fire safety uh, after about 1950. Mm-hmm. Buildings were safe enough, uh, well, so they started shredding the fire endurance conditions on buildings. So. Fuel load means how much is in there, the normal furniture, the normal construction, how long will it burn for? And when fires get really big, what controls their burning is not how much fuel is in there, but how much air can get into the building. So as the air gets in, it gradually burns more and more of the fuel. And Mm -hmm. the the whole floor is hot. I mean, the, the, pe- people have forgotten some of these concepts and uh, uh, just uh, either overcomplicated or or uh, don't even look at it anymore. Right. Well, uh, so the fuel load in this case was you had you had the and you, you had no lack of uh, ventilation when the when the aircraft went through uh, into the building. It, it, it immediately then would have called, caused um, full um, full involvement, right? Uh, its explosion would have well, caused full when you involvement. Say full right? involvement. It, what it will do is it will it, actually when the built when the airplane hit in that area, you saw a big hole in the building and it pushed everything, you know, toward the center of the building. Right. Uh, the airplane broke up in little pieces, mm-hmm. and the engine and uh, the engines and the wheels went right through the building. Right. So uh, you had like uh, an eggshell breaking on the outside of the airplane structure, and then the wheels and the engine going through the building. Uh, That's what happened. So now you you get the furniture burning that's in there, Mm -hmm. and all the other stuff that's in there, the paper and everything, and. That burns as air comes into that floor. Now, as that fire progressed through the a, a given floor, it broke more windows. Right. And and that was well documented. So somebody could calculate how much ventilation the fire was getting as it progressed because there were so many cameras on those buildings that that information was uh, developed by the ASME committee, a, AS... Uh, uh, AS, the American Society of Civil Engineers, as right. well as uh, NIST. NIST did an extremely great job in uh, uh, determining how the windows were breaking. Yes, and I, and that's great. And because yeah, and uh, and also, and I'm I, I shouldn't I guess bring this up, but it's true. Uh, also, the avgas, um, the avgas that was in the aircraft, of course, was immediately. Ignited uh, after the fuel tanks were were ruptured, and then anybody that was in there, also uh, on that floor when it hit, would have also been incinerated. Which, um, which uh, actually also, not, right? really, actually not, really. Tell uh, me. Y- yes, uh, if you go back into the archives, mm-hmm. uh, there is a picture of somebody standing 
on that floor where the big opening is, it looked yeah. like a forlorn person lost in the wilderness, and the person is standing right there. So wow. that's someone from that floor. Uh, secondly, there's a book called 102 Minutes by people from the New York Times, no. and they uh, document how people uh, behaved in the building, making telephone calls, emails, uh, and how some of the people got out. Some people got out uh, of the, uh, 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 I think it's the South Tower. They mm-hmm. walked past the fire floors. Uh, when they walked past the fire floors, they found someone trapped under a desk and they rescued that person. Goodness gracious. Yes, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. Um, a lot of us that, um, yeah, you know, are not as, as well read as you are on this particular subject. And I NIST put out a, like a 10,000 page uh, report on this. Is that correct? That's correct. And that must be, did you read it? That's an arduous task. Uh, I, I read the important parts uh, that pertain to what I thought was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Congress asked this for uh, an abbreviated version. And, um, you know, as I stated, uh, Sally Reagan-Hyde of the, uh, Reagan-Hart of the Skyscraper Safety Campaign Mm-hmm. had the first remarks to Congress. Uh, the the NIST investigation was really pathetic. That's all I can say. No, I'm, and it's, well, I'm sorry. And it's, sorry. Unfortunate, it's unfortunate that no one goes back to uh, check it out because of the consequences of what happened. You have to ask yourself, what if the building was designed properly and the airplanes hit it, but the buildings did not fall down. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, there were firefighters okay. that reached the floor of the fire scene and were on their way down with victims. That's in the transcripts of right. the radio connections uh, that the right. fire department has. And, uh, and so, you know, the... the there could have been, you know, uh, ways to deal with that fire. Uh, that building did not have to fall down. Uh, in yeah. my opinion, if it was designed properly, it would not have fallen down. Look, it stood for one and almost two hours right. with the fires raging. And so if the airplane did it, it would have fallen down immediately. But it didn't. It, the fire did it. And so right. now you have to ask yourself why. And I do understand that, and God bless you for looking in, into this. Um, have you been to, I, I want to recommend everybody to go to the Brown Zero Museum. Have you been there, Doctor, yet? We've only got three uh, minutes yes, left. Yes, I've been there, and I know people that are on that walkway. I mean, Peter Gancy, one of the high-level people in the New York uh, Fire Department, mm-hmm. uh, was was an advocate of fire investigation. He linked to the ATF, and he brought to bring the ATF into the educational fold of New York City, and he did do that, and he died on the freaking scene. Wow. Oh, so, gosh. Uh, well, if, um, Doctor, I want to thank you for, for being here with us and, and bringing this up. I, I think it's very important that people understand this. And... Um, 
I'm really sorry to hear that uh, there were so many deficiencies. Um, so again, doctor, how people get in touch with you? I mean, I got two minutes. Just give them, if you would, your how to get in touch with you again. I'm on Facebook. They could look look at get my email, jimq at umd.edu. J i m q at umotherdavid.edu. And uh, you know, a lot of uh, people contact me for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had conspiracy theorists contact me <laughs> on this subject. Yeah, sure, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, well, I don't. I don't see you uh, slink, slinking around in alleyways, Doc. And I, I really appreciate you yes, uh, very George, much. George Bush did not do this. I know he didn't. I know. All right. Well, and it wasn't Trump this time. Okay. So hey, um, although I don't like him at all, but that's me. Anyway, but uh, hey, uh, Doctor, thank you so very much for being here. Thank, thank you, you for having me. And uh, and I thank you very much. And next next week, we're going to have Dan Madrakowski, formerly of NIST, who did a lot of really good work. I don't know, think he worked on this. I'm not sure. But anyway, but then um, he's also going to talk about how to keep yourself from setting yourself on fire. So the sequel. He was, it's our first show. It'll be our last show. So thank you for being with us. And when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire, thank you. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.